We're kicking off 2021 with our favorite off-season moves to date. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15. On The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, February 1st. Al Melchior here. Thanks for joining us as we kick off a new season's worth of shows. On future episodes, we'll bring you the latest news, player analysis, and strategy advice, and we're about to launch a series of team previews, but for this episode, we're going to look at the impact of some of the biggest moves this offseason, and I am joined by both of my co-hosts today, Michael Beller and Derek Van Riper. Uh, excited to get this season underway, guys. Very excited to be back. I think there was a point just a few weeks ago where we could have recapped every move of the MLB offseason in a 15-minute episode. I'm very grateful that things have changed in the last couple of weeks, and that is no longer possible. Right there with you. Things have picked up in a really fun way, right? And we're just uh, sitting here enjoying it. It doesn't feel like things are going to drag on. And hey, maybe all these free agent signings is just another sign that we actually are going to have an on-time start to the season. Very happy to be here with you guys. Well, likewise, and I appreciate the op- optimism there, Michael. Uh, so uh, we're each going to talk about a move or set of moves that we're most excited about so far from this offseason. So DVR, let's start with you. Uh, I know you have been excited about the numerous moves that the Padres have made. Um, what specifically maybe stands out to you and why are you excited about those moves? I mean, they have completely revamped their starting rotation. When they made the move for Mike Clevenger in the middle of the 2020 season, part of the appeal at the time was that they'd have him beyond 2020. They were clearly making a multi-year push. They've been building up for this for a long time. You know, Unfortunately, Clevenger got hurt, and that sort of put them in need for what we thought was one starting pitcher. <laughs> they have traded for three with the deals for Blake Snell, Hugh Darvish, and most recently, Joe Musgrove. And it does a few different things for me. With Blake Snell, it gives us a possible answer to the question of what happens if you let him consistently go through the order a third time? Mm -hmm. I wonder about it and say, did the Rays not trust him because they didn't think his arsenal was deep enough or because the stuff wasn't good or the command wasn't good? Or did they not really want him to go the third time through very often because of concerns about his arm. Like I think it's actually more the latter. I think it's more of an injury sort of question with Blake Snell than a talent question. But we're going to find out. We're going to find out if he can hold up with that extra workload. We're going to find out if he's effective with that extra workload. Uh, San Diego's obviously a great place to pitch, so he's getting, a, I think, a little bit of a park upgrade or at least a matchup sort of upgrade when you think about not being in the AL East anymore. Occasional trips to Coors, not great, but you get the Giants. You get the D-backs. Tough matchups against the Dodgers, but Snell's the kind of guy, he's good enough, you're going to throw him in those spots anyway. So it's a slight net positive for me with Blake Snell. You know, with Darvish, I think it's more of a lateral move. I think what he's done since the middle of 2019 with his walk rate has made him fascinating. I think I trust him more than most people do. I've got him firmly inside my top 10 overall among starting pitchers. So... Just excited to see him out of the NL Central since I'm a fan of the Brewers and uh, I'm not, not having him with the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, this this episode is more pain for, for Michael Beller than it is for me. Uh, his team selling a little harder than, than mine to this point or failing a little harder yeah. than mine at this point. And then the Musgrove thing I think is interesting to me because everybody 
seems to like him more than I do. And I think going to San Diego will only add fuel to that fire. So now we're looking at this situation where Joe Musgrove goes from a guy that goes around pick 150 in a draft, maybe to the pick 100 range. Or once we get to the end of March, maybe even higher in some of the high stakes arenas where people get really aggressive for things like the NFBC main event. Uh, but just from a pure baseball standpoint, to see a team that is a much smaller market team, San Diego, surprisingly one of the smallest markets in Major League Baseball, to see them pushing chips in and spending money against the current of every other team for the most part, trying to spend less, I love that. It just goes right against the economic current of the game. That's really exciting. And they didn't just change their pitching. They made some adjustments to their infield depth, too. They added Hassan Kim. He's probably going to be the primary second baseman. They still have Cronenworth there to play all over. They brought back Jerks and Profar, which was a bit of a surprise. And Victor Caratini was a bit of a throw-in in that Cubs deal. So now he's part of their backup catcher situation, probably working as Darvish's personal catcher and maybe mixing in a bit again uh, as the universal DH if we have that available, too. So this is just a team that put all of its chips on the table at a time when most teams are going the opposite direction. Oh, and they still have their elite prospects. They still have C.J. Abrams. They still have Mackenzie Gore. Uh, they didn't trade their first rounder from last year, Robert Hassel. Ryan Weathers is still there as well. So they still have reinforcements to bring up if things go wrong health-wise on this team. DVR, that last thing you said right there about uh, the fact that they're trying to compete, uh, that's really something that got me excited. I want to see a uh, I want to see a White Sox-Padres World Series, if for no other reason than these are two teams that are willing to compete. And if I could take it a step further, I would love to see the White Sox face off with the Blue Jays in the ALCS. And that's where I find my favorite development this offseason is the way that the Blue Jays have just not been afraid to make moves and to uh, revamp or add to what was already a burgeoning offense last season. Two big additions to this Blue Jays offense. The big one, obviously, George Springer, pulling him away from another AL contender in the Astros, adding him to your lineup, putting him atop the lineup so he's going to be a table setter for the likes of Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. and Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez, however they decide to work that out. Just a great addition, and that was going to be the case in George Springer's fantasy value, no matter where he ended up playing, was going to be immense. The one guy who I am more interested in from a fantasy perspective, or at least who I think is maybe the more interesting fantasy guy to talk about, is Marcus Semien, who they just recently added a little bit of a surprise that the Blue Jays ended up being the team that not only got him, but was willing to give him $18 million for just one year to secure his services. Right now in uh, the NFC NFBC ADP, he is sitting right around pick 140, and maybe that comes up a little bit. I think he's going to be a bargain, you guys. You're going to be able to play him at second base or shortstop. Uh, he's going to be hitting somewhere in the top part of that order, possibly as high as number two, right behind George Springer. He's going to have plenty of RBI opportunities. He's going to have a ton of run scoring opportunities with all of those guys hitting behind him. And I know that last year you look at the, the shortened schedule stats and you look at what he did and it doesn't really have you very excited coming into 2021, but that was really just a bad start to the season. We saw Marcus Semien level out after the first 20, 25 games of the year. And then from that point forward, put up numbers that looked very similar to his monster 2019 season when he had a 373 Woba, when he slugged 522 and hit 33 homers playing a full year. I think he can still be that brand of player, and I think he brings it with some massive upside and some massive counting stats in the RBI and run scoring categories because of that lineup that is around him. Really like the environment that he has found himself in, and I think I am going to find myself drafting a whole lot of Marcus Semien this season. 
Yeah, well, Michael, you talk about the environment. So obviously he's got that great young lineup to uh, place himself in and uh, a park upgrade, uh, I would think a substantial one. So you talked about the expectation that he'll have a boost in runs and RBIs. Uh, Do you think he'll get back to 30 plus homers, especially given not only his home park, but some of those other parks in the AL East? Yeah, you know, I I don't see any reason why we should sell that possibility for him. And it all just leads to what is a really, um, you know, bullish projection for uh, the sort of player he can be at the ADP that you're getting him at. And I love the fact that we can play him at second or short. It gives you a whole lot of flexibility early in your drafts if you do attack the position with someone who's going to get drafted high or even later in the drafts. If this is a position uh, up the middle that you end up falling behind and targeting, like Marcus Semyon is going to give you plenty of flexibility to go either way and let him be that pivot guy. There's just so many checks in the right way uh, that have me really wanting to get in on him. And again, I talked about this with both you guys last year, right? I kept saying, I want some investment in the White Sox offense. I don't really care what it is. I just want to have a piece of that offense because I think it's going to explode. I feel very similarly about this Toronto offense. Springer, Bichette, even Vlad Jr. uh, with the uh, way he hasn't lived up to what we expected them in the first couple of seasons. They're going to be popular guys. Semyon gives you an avenue to get in on this offense at a much more uh, affordable price tag. All right. Well, yeah, there's certainly been no lack of excitement or even hype about uh, all the teams that you've mentioned. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Washington Nationals. I like the moves that they've made this offseason. And thinking about this from a fantasy perspective, uh, and, you know, DVR, you talked about Musgrove, and I just don't see how I'm going to be able to get in on Musgrove this year because of all the uh, added hype with him. I feel like the two biggest moves that the Nationals have made with uh, signing uh, Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell, that those have really fallen sort of under the radar. The Bell one in particular is not as recent as some of these others. Bell comes in with a lot of uncertainty after, um, you know, a, a mixed 2019 and a disappointing 2020. Kyle Schwarber, I just feel like, uh, has been perennially underrated. And uh, Michael, I don't know what thoughts you might have on that. But, um, you know, they're landing in a great park, one of the best power parks in the major leagues over the last few seasons. Uh, a lineup that was middle of the pack last year that I think that with their addition could rise to be a top 10 offense. Bell comes from the worst offense in 2020 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Substantial lineup upgrade for him and maybe uh, one for uh, for Schwarber as well as the Cubs were not one of the better offenses in 2020. So I think that both of those players stand to gain some run production uh, counting stats. They stand to gain some uh, power stats with the move to National Park. And Bell also in Pittsburgh did hit for, not surprisingly, hit for much more power on the road uh, than he did at PNC. So I think that really bodes well for him to to have a comeback and have a, a season more like the first half of 2019 that he had. Let me just say, as we're talking about comebacks, really quick, jump in here. I said it already, what, like nine minutes ago? I'm I don't, I'm not afraid to say it again. I'm so excited to be back here with you guys doing fantasy baseball in 15. We know how weird last year was for everyone and how we were just stringing along draft prep episode after draft prep episode after draft prep episode all the way into June. So fingers crossed for a normal season and that we can get off on the right foot when the season is supposed to start on April 1st. I hear that, Michael. 
<laughs> I hear that. Uh, bringing back some memories. Yeah, that uncertainty from, from last year. So uh, not that we're completely out of that this year, but uh, I'm certainly coming in with, with more optimism and glad to see that you you both are as well. So uh, as I mentioned before, we'll be launching some team previews uh, starting with the very next episode. Looking forward to that. And, you know, we'll have uh, all the things that you you came to expect from Fantasy Baseball in 15 uh, back in uh, 2020. So uh, with that said, that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you do take the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper and Michael Beller, I'm Al Melkier. We'll be right back here on Tuesday. Tuesday.